Well, good morning, everybody. I want to welcome you to Southwinds, welcome you to week two. You're a good man, I love you. And now I may not be able to preach for a while. <laughs> well, it is good uh, to be here today. It is a special day uh, for me, I think, uh, just uh, remembering uh, 19 years ago. This was the day that I officially started work and um, had a... Thanks. Had a lot more hair, a lot fewer wrinkles, um, and so did a lot of you. Um, <laughs> Looking around, I remember, um, so, but it's been a good and looking forward to year 20 uh, that's ahead of us this year, what's God going to do in this year, and you know what we're talking about in this series is really about that. Why are we here? You know, what has God put us in this place for, and there are a number of ways I think you could talk about that, but you would have to, if you're true to the scriptures, one of those ways has to be talking about the gospel. That's at the heart. That's at the core of everything we, we do, and that's what we're talking about. We started last week. This is week number two, and in this series, uh, it's three weeks, uh, we're getting clear on what the gospel is. We're talking about how we can share the gospel with the people who need to hear it, and we're also gonna be seeking to grow in our understanding of exactly how it is that we live out the gospel, that we live as gospel-centered people. Today, it's about sharing it. Uh, it's about sharing it, and if you were here last week, you'll remember that we talked about uh, understanding the gospel, that the gospel is the good news. We, we talked about how the gospel is the proclamation that God has reconciled us to himself through the death of his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross where he died as a substitute for our sins. And we talked about how when we repent of our sins and believe in Jesus, we receive the gift of God's righteousness and eternal life. And that means the gospel is good news, not just good advice. It's not good advice about how we're to live. The gospel's not about how we're, you know, the things we are to do. It's about what God has already done uh, for us in Jesus Christ. And we saw last week that that means that the gospel is not just about forgiveness of our sins, but it is about us receiving the righteousness of Christ. And that means we have a new standing with God. And that means when God looks at you, that's every day, even when you're walking with him and even when you're not walking with him, every day he, he sees you as he sees his son. He sees the righteousness of Christ in you. And that tells us the gospel is not just a set of ideas but it is about experiencing the very power of God. And I, I'm reviewing all these things and putting them up here again for you to see because I wanna remind you as we get started today that when we seek to share the gospel with people, we always need to keep these things in mind. The gospel is the good news. And it changed everything, right, for you, for me. And we wanna tell other people about the goodness of God, like we just sang. We wanna tell them what God did for us. That's what we wanna share with them. And the way we're gonna do that today is we're gonna look at a story, a story from Jesus' life, and it's about thirst. And it's about the only water, the only water that satisfies our thirsts. 
And I think that is very relevant, reminds us, particularly people who live where we live uh, in our lives today, because in California, we are living and have been for a while now through a time of drought. The land is so thirsty, isn't it? I mean, we love this weather. I was talking to someone yesterday. It's like, what a beautiful day. And then we both kind of said, yeah, (laughs) it'd be kind of nice if we got some rain. You know, we're living in a thirsty land, but it's not just the land. It's the people in the land, so many people, so very thirsty, They're always trying to find something to satisfy their thirsts, always looking, never finding, always thirsting, never satisfied, just thirsty, 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 and, and that's what this story is about. It's in John 4. Um, and if you're not there yet, you want to get there in your Bibles or you want to turn your Bibles on. If you're new to the Bibles, the, the, the Bible, the four Gospels in the New Testament are like biographies of Jesus. And if you read those biographies, they, they contain a number of conversations that, that Jesus has with someone. And this right here is the longest of any of Jesus' recorded conversations. And it's interesting. It's a conversation with a woman and she is also an outcast. And that, that tells us so much about Jesus, about his compassion, about his, his love. It, it tells us so much about the gospel that it's good news, very good news. It's the best news of all. And it tells us that this good news is for everyone. Doesn't matter who you are, what you've done. It's for everyone. It's for you. And maybe you've come today Maybe you're here right now, you're wondering if there is any hope for you. And Jesus, he's, you're gonna see, he is so tender with thirsty people, people who are honest about their thirsts. Now we're gonna focus today on what Jesus teaches those of us who know him uh, about how to share the gospel. But as we walk through the story, I hope that, that you will see that only Jesus can satisfy the thirst in your hearts, not money, not sex, not your kids, not your spouse, not achievements or adventures, not how many friends or followers you have, only Jesus can satisfy the thirst in your heart. And so if you are here today maybe and you're looking to anyone or anything uh, else but Jesus, I just wanna tell you up front, I want you to hear me so clearly, you're always gonna be thirsty, you're never gonna be satisfied. This story, this story calls every one of us, whether you're someone who's just beginning to ask some questions about Jesus, you know you're not sure what you believe, or whether you've been following Jesus for a long, long time, this story is calling all of us to find our satisfaction in Jesus. See, we, we, we see in this story a reminder that if we are Christ followers, then Jesus has given us a job, and it's a mission that he's given us, and we often call it the Great Commission, and I wanna remind us of that. We find this in Matthew 28, the very end of Matthew's gospel. This is what Jesus said to us. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, before we get into John 4, I I think sometimes we hear those words 
and we start feeling guilty. Anybody feeling a little guilty right now? You heard the Great Commission. You know, we feel like we're not doing what we should and we feel intimidated by the task. Sometimes we're not sure we want to do the task because it, it sounds like we're being asked to share a sales pitch and like we're not salespeople. You know, those little brochures that people tell us we have to use sometimes to tell people about Jesus, they, they, they seem strange to us. And have you ever noticed talking about Jesus with someone who doesn't know Jesus is almost always awkward? And so we, a lot of us, just kind of give up and we don't share. Sometimes we use our discomfort or our uncertainty or, or, or maybe even a, a lack of some knowledge as an excuse not to do anything at all. And so I hope that this story in John 4 will reframe for you what it means to share the good news. Because we, we see Jesus, and as we watch him, we can learn from his example, and if we will do that, then we can share good news with respect and with gentleness, and we can actually do it in a way that makes sense to the people who hear so let's walk through this story, and, and as we do, we're gonna see four things that Jesus practiced that, that we can build into our lives. And I, I just guarantee you ahead of time, okay, this is like one of these guaranteed sermons. I'm just telling you, okay, it's a guarantee. Um, if you listen, so if what, doesn't, what I say doesn't happen, then it's your fault because you didn't listen. But uh, I guarantee you, if your ears and if your eyes are open, you're gonna have a chance this week to practice what we're talking about. Are you ready? If you're alert, if you're watching, and if you ask him, Jesus will give you a chance to share our faith, your faith. And so we're gonna ask, how can we share our faith like Jesus? And here's the first of the four things. You can write this down. We need to get close to people far from God. So just kind of starts like this. You know, if you're not around anybody, you're not gonna be able to tell anybody. So if you wanna share your faith, you need to get close to people. Maybe that means you need to walk across the street. Maybe that means you need to walk across your office to another cubicle. Maybe that means you need to grill outside and invite some neighbors over. Maybe that means you have to get out of a Christian ivory tower. Maybe you're one of those people and you got all these meetings with other believers scheduled this week and you're gonna go to all of them and you're not gonna have any time for anybody who doesn't know Jesus. You gotta get close to people far from God. Look how Jesus does this. We're gonna start in verse three, and it says this, that Jesus left Judea, and this is down in the south of this region, it's where Jerusalem is, and he went back once more to Galilee, which is up toward the north, and then John says, now he had to go through Samaria. And it says, Jesus had you might want to circle or underline that word, had to go through Samaria. If you read it too fast, you might miss it. It may not seem to say anything, but John is signaling to us something very important because in that first century, no religious Jew ever had to go through Samaria. And here's why. There's a backstory. About 500 years before this, the Assyrians had conquered Israel in that conquering and, and destruction, they had deported most of the Israelites to Assyria and other regions, uh, and then they had left some people behind, just a few people. Uh, those who were left behind, they intermarried with the pagan peoples that the conquering Assyrians had mixed into their land, and that was part of how they survived all the desolation. And then years later, the Israelites returned home, 
And they hated the people who had stayed, who were part Jewish, but part something else, who had intermarried and who had adopted pagan culture and language. They saw them as compromisers. In fact, they hated them so badly, they wouldn't let them worship in the temple they rebuilt in in Jerusalem. The Samaritans, as they came to be called, said, fine, we don't wanna worship in your old sorry temple anyway. You know, and so they built another temple. They put it up in, in Samaria. They built it on their mountain. They said, you have a temple on your mountain, which is where Jerusalem was, and we're gonna have, on, have one on ours. It was called Mount Gerizim. And when they built that temple, it was like the last straw for the Jewish people. And that mountain that the Samaritans worshiped on became like this icon of their, of their conflict. It's like, which mountain? is the right mountain for worshiping God. That was, the, that was the ongoing struggle. And so you just get this picture as a picture of conflict. The Jews hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans hated the Jews. It had gone on for centuries. And it got to the point that to travel from Judea up north to Galilee, any Jew who was faithful and devout of that day, they would cross the Jordan and they would go the long way around. They did not take the straight route No Jew had to go through Samaria, but Jesus did. Jesus goes right up that taboo trade route. Why? Well, he knew God had a divine appointment waiting for him at a well at high noon in a little village called Sychar. And that's some really good news for you today. See, maybe, maybe you're here today and you're, you're feeling like, you know, I'm a long way from God. In fact, you know, the good religious people that I know, they avoid me. If you will hear and listen, you will see this story teaches us that you may be off everyone else's beaten path, but you're on Jesus's. He comes looking for you and he's looking for you right now. He's seeking you out and followers of Jesus, he's wanting you to do the same thing that he's doing. I think this story just gets better the farther you read into it. Here's the second thing, it's huge. We see Jesus secondly seek common ground. And it's really important that we learn to incorporate all these four insights into our lives because we never know when God will have a divine appointment for you. Just like Jesus had it that well. Now watch how he does it. Verses five and six say, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now, stop right here, and I wanna tell you again, if you you read this too fast, you'll miss it, and I wanna tell you to circle some stuff in your, your Bible. Circle the word Jacob, the words Jacob's well, and then the well. John keeps repeating himself about the well. Why? Well, again, The Jews hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans couldn't stand the Jews, but watch. Both the Jews and the Samaritans loved Jacob. And so this is literally common ground. Whether you're Jewish or Samaritan, Jesus, a Jew, he goes there to meet a Samaritan. I found this vintage photograph, and it's actually a photograph from about 100 years ago of Jacob's well. This is the actual place where Jesus met this woman, and today it doesn't look like this. Today it's a suburb. It's been covered over you know, by buildings. This particularly is covered over by a church, but a little over 100 years ago, it still looked like this, and it probably looked a lot like it did in Jesus' day. It's a picture of common ground. 
But what happens next? Verse seven says, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. So this woman has come to the well and some scholars think that she walked about five miles to get to the well. The previous verse said it's the sixth hour in their terms, that means it's 12 noon, that means it's hot, that means she has walked five miles in the heat at high noon. What do you think is on her mind? Well, water, she's thirsty. And so what does Jesus start talking about? He, he, he talks about water. Will you give me a drink? So, so don't, don't miss this. How do you talk about spiritual things without being overbearing or unnecessarily odd? Jesus starts the conversation at common ground and water is on both their minds. She's thirsty, so is Jesus. And then he provides this woman a chance to enter into a spiritual conversation. Well, how do you do this? Well, there's actually lots and lots of ways, and I I can't tell you all the ways. You have to figure out most of them for yourself because it's gonna be specific to your life and where you are as you talk to another person. But there's some examples we can think about. Um, One of them, real simply, is for us to learn the practice of talking to people. You could use this uh, tomorrow, if you're going to work, you could ask someone, how was your weekend? Real simple, real natural question. Um, some you could ask someone in your neighborhood and they can tell you. And what will they likely do after they tell you? They're, they're, they're likely to ask you how yours was. And then you can tell them what you did on your weekend and you could tell them I did this and I did that and I, you know, I really enjoyed this, this church service I went to at my church and you know, just kind of lay that out there. And if they're interested, they may ask you about it. Maybe they'll ask what church you go to. Maybe they'll say, you know, I used to go to church but I hated it. And let me tell you why. And then maybe you'll have this interesting conversation. But whatever happens, and it doesn't always work out, whatever happens, you're, you're, you're starting a conversation on common ground. And you can do that in so many, many ways. As you learn to pay attention to other people, as you learn to listen to other people and maybe ask questions, as you do all those things prayerfully, you can see what, what God does. And that's what Jesus does. Watch what happens. After she heard Jesus was willing to ask her for a drink, it says the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Now, let me ask you a question. How did she know Jesus was a Jew? Think about that. Did he say he was? No. He just asked her one question. How did she know? And it really can only mean one thing. Jesus looked and Jesus sounded very obviously Jewish. That tells us a lot. One of the things it tells us is that he must not have looked a lot like we see him depicted in a lot of paintings and maybe in a lot of movies, you know, the, the light brown hair, maybe blonde sometimes, blue eyes, kind of like surfer dude Jesus, you know. Because if he had looked like that and talked to her, she would have said, how is it that you being Swedish asked me for a drink or Something, you know, but that's not what she said. He looked like a Jewish man, right? Why is this important? Well, it's just this indication we need to see that Jesus was part of his culture. You're part of our culture. And so Jesus is taking steps here to reach out 
cross-culturally, even to people that he doesn't naturally relate to. And that's something we should also be asking ourselves. Are you just hanging around? Are you just relating to people like you? Have you heard of the big sort that's going on in our culture? There's a lot of articles, books being written about this. You know, I'm not gonna get into this very deeply, but uh, we live in a time where people are grouping themselves into places physically or sometimes virtually more and more and more with people who are more and more, more and more like them. Because we don't like those people. In fact, a lot of times we hate those people. And if they're different than us, they're bad, and we don't want anything to do with them. Now, that's like several sermons, and none of this is actually in my notes, so it's free for today. You're welcome. Um, But do you see, you can't be a person who's sharing good news like Jesus shared it if you're just sorting yourself into groupings and places where you're comfortable with the people who think just like you do. Jesus is willing to reach across boundaries. Watch how many boundaries he goes past. The first one is not so obvious to us, but it's a big one for them. She's a woman. And she says that. She recognizes that. How is it that you ask me, a Samaritan woman? See, just like in many Middle Eastern countries still today, 2,000 years later, back then, men, you know, did not talk to or maybe not even look at a woman in public. And then scholars tell us that, you know, the, the, the decent people, the in crowd, the people who had friends, they didn't go to the well um, to draw water at noon. It was too hot. They went in the morning. They went in the evening. She is there because she's avoiding people because probably people attack her and critique her and judge her. In other words, we're, we're seeing another barrier. We, we, we might say this, this woman was not a good girl. See, as we will see, but in spite of that, Jesus was waiting for her, that he deliberately picks her. He doesn't pick her priest. He doesn't pick the chief of her village. He picks her to reach her entire town. And we, we, um, we get so tied up in knots sometimes, especially when we talk about sharing our faith. Most of us, we end up speaking because we're just worried we're gonna say the wrong thing, right? How many of you ever not said something about Jesus because you're afraid you're gonna say the wrong thing? Would you just you know, be honest about that today? I think it's all of us have been like that. We're worried we won't get the words right. Did you hear about the study that came out that said that women that carry just a little bit of extra weight live much longer than the men who mentioned that weight? We're afraid, aren't we, to say the wrong thing? And some of us are really good at saying the wrong thing. And what I'm saying to you is that looking at Jesus' example, we need to relax, we need to rest, we need to trust in God's Holy Spirit, and we're not always gonna say the right thing. But you know, God is really, really good at working with screw-ups like us. It's his specialty, He uses messed up people to reach messed up people. It's what he does. 
And so, so this is what we need to do. We need to follow Jesus' example and get close to people far from God. We need to seek common ground. Are, are you having some thoughts? I hope the Holy Spirit is stirring some thoughts in your mind right now of ways you can do these first two things. It just keeps better, getting better, this story. Third, uh, we see Jesus do this. Use your words strategically. Learn to speak wisely and, and thoughtfully. And, and this is for some of you in particular. You know who you are. Don't think you have to just always keep talking. Just practice listening sometimes. And some of you need to hear this. Don't think you need to tell them everything all at once. You know, everything you've learned about the Bible in the last 50 years, you don't have to tell them all right now. Be strategic. Be intriguing. I want you to notice three insights about how Jesus uses his words strategically. The first one is this, just stay simple. You, you don't need to explain the whole Bible in one conversation. It, it says this, um, starting in verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now again, he's talking about water because it's common ground and he says, hey, we're all thirsty. But then do you notice he sort of just stops and lets it hang out there? He doesn't explain anymore. He stops talking. And I think essentially she says, what? What are you talking about? And then he says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And then he stops talking again. He just kind of drops that out there. It's very intriguing. It's almost mysterious. It's, it's really very, very elegant. Simple, but not simplistic. And maybe, maybe you need to hear what he is saying to this woman today. Maybe you too are drinking water that does not satisfy. You're chasing success. You're buying stuff. You're, you're putting stuff in your body to self-medicate. You keep going back to the same well and you're still thirsty. And Jesus is saying, can't you see? That well is never gonna satisfy you. It may taste good sometimes. It may feel better for a while, but have you ever noticed it never lasts? Never lasts. You just keep getting thirsty again because it doesn't work. And Jesus is really saying, he's saying, do I have a drink for you? It's just this beautiful metaphorical explanation of the gospel. And we should take some clues from that as we talk to people. Stay simple. Next thing we wanna see is Jesus stays positive. You, you don't have to be judgmental and preachy. You don't have to always point out to people the things they're doing that are wrong, the things they're doing that are messing up their life. I mean, it's an interesting thing. You stop to think, you realize, most of the time, don't you think they probably already know? They probably already know. Now watch how Jesus does this. This is beginning in verse 15. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He said to her, uh, he told her, go 
call your husband and come back. What? It's like a hard right turn, isn't it? And she's, I think, uh, well, uh, Jesus, I, um, it's like this. Um, I have no husband. She replied, Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true and that woman right now is going, oh, snap, (laughs) or whatever they said, first century Samaria. And she has to be thinking, how did he know And we're not told how Jesus knew, but he knew. And and what's Jesus' response to this is fascinating. You might underline the words, you are right. And then the words, what you have just said is quite true. Now, what is Jesus doing there? Notice he's doing this. He's saying the only positive thing he can say about what she just told him. You're telling me the truth. He he says, "You're, you're, you're telling me the truth. It's like, well, yeah, you're... You're being honest about sleeping around. And he says it twice. What you have just said is really true. Thank you for being honest. Stay positive. Why? Well, first, condemnation never really works. And then second, this woman did not need to be told to try to be better. And I think it's really important for us to be reminded that sometimes those of us who believe we're saved by grace, when we talk to people about Jesus, we talk to them like they're gonna get saved by doing the right thing. We tell them they have to clean up their life. We, we, we focus on that before the good news. We, we give them a moralistic message and they think, well, you're just telling me I have to be a church person, that I have to go to church and do all these different things and they miss the gospel but that's not what she needed, and that's not what they need. What she needed and what they need is Jesus. Third thing we see is that Jesus, uh, we, we see that we stay focused. Starting in verse 19, the woman says, sir, sir, the woman said, I can see you are a prophet. And it's like, uh, since you know so much and since I'm desperate to change the subject right now, let me ask you a question, Jesus. This is a spiritual question. You'll like this, I think. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. So where do you have church? Where's the good place to worship God? And she really goes right to the biggest argument that Jews and Samaritan had. It's a total smokescreen, a total diversion. Have you ever noticed when you try maybe to talk to someone about Jesus how quickly it gets moved to some other topic like politics, some other controversial issue. Jesus, though, doesn't get sidetracked. He directs her back to what's really important. This is verse 19. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. A time is coming. It has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And his words are so beautiful. He just sidesteps the controversy, and he goes right back to the thing he wants to talk about, what matters. And maybe, maybe today, maybe you're wondering about becoming a Christ follower, but it's so easy for you to get distracted about all these controversial issues, to wonder what if, and maybe you want answers, and maybe Jesus would say to you what he says to this woman. He says, for now, let's just set these issues aside. Because Jesus, 
He's standing there. He's standing there at this well. His arms are open wide. And he's inviting her to come and to be satisfied. He's inviting her to fulfill everything that she's ever wanted. He's inviting her to drink some living water. Now I want to pause right here and say a couple things. Because as we've talked about these first three principles, I, I'm, I'm thinking that some of you are in your mind thinking, yeah, it sounds good, but it's really not that easy, Pastor Mike. Um, and I don't want to suggest it's easy. I don't want to suggest that when I do these things, it all works. I mean, most of the time I try to do these things, it doesn't go anywhere right away. That's just the way it is. Um, but I want to remind you of a couple things with that in mind that it's not easy. First of all, our job is not to win debates or close sales. Our job is simply to share the truth that we've experienced. In fact, you could put it like this, evangelism, this is a, a definition, a basic evangelism is just announcing good news. That's what it is. Our job is just to tell good news. Do you think you can tell good news? You can, of course you can. You do it all the time whenever something good happens in your life. I mean, how many of you here have ever lost five or you know, 10 pounds? You lost five pounds. You go around telling everybody, I lost five pounds. Hey, I lost five pounds. Someone says, hey, you look pretty good. Yeah, I know, I lost five pounds. <laughs> like you're telling them all the time, right? It's just good news. Your, your boss comes to your cubicle and your boss says to you, hey, I'm giving you a raise. That's good news. Your boss is an evangelist. He's doing evangelism. Some of you are thinking, I'm gonna start praying right now that my boss has an evangelistic opportunity this week. <laughs> it just means we announce good news and we need to keep our focus on that. Second, we don't need to be intimidated because God's already done the hard work. See, God has called us to be proclaimers. Just tell people good news. And we get confused sometimes. We think that means we have to be Bible scholars. It means we have to be experts in apologetics who know all the philosophical answers to all the questions that people have about religion. We have to be people who can talk real good, you know, super articulate. Maybe you need to remember today that God has done the hard work already. How many of you have heard about the the Death Valley super bloom. You ever heard about that? Happens from time to time. Every few years, desert flowers just like explode. Uh, they, they bloom a lot more than normal. And here's what happens when that takes place. There, there are always, like always, always millions and millions, billions of seeds in the ground, but most of the years, because it's the desert, they don't get much rain. And so only a few flowers bloom. Now, last time this happened was six years ago, around this time, 2016. There was an El Nino, maybe remember that. And so much rain fell in Death Valley that Death Valley just came alive. One botanist reporting on this said, there are so many seeds out there just waiting to sprout and grow. So what happens when the right amount of water comes on the seeds that are already there. I want to show you some pictures. This is what it looks like. I mean, isn't that incredible? <laughs> That's Death Valley. The seed is already there. That's the hard part. 
Look at, look at this one. That some of you are here, and you know you're here, and you're not following Jesus. You're, you are far from God, and I'm gonna tell you something about yourself. Inside your soul, you know that you're a creature and there is a creator. You know you intuitively look at this world like you're looking at these beautiful pictures right now and you know that someone must have done this. It couldn't have just happened. There's something bigger than time and space and matter that just built all of this. You know it because creation cries out that there's a creator, that we're not alone, that this didn't come from nothing. Inside you there is this sense of fright and wrong, and you know it. When you, when you tell a lie and you hurt someone because of that, when you take something that you know it doesn't belong to you, when you do anything that's against God's 10 rules, you feel bad inside, and I'm telling you, if you never realize that that is the echo of the creator echoing in your heart, telling you, you are meant for more. Do you understand? God has already planted the seeds inside every human soul and it's not our job to change people or to argue them into submission. You just need to water the seed with truth and with kindness. And one day, as God works, a super bloom will come. A super bloom will come. It's up to God. Look at your notes so far. Do you wanna have more opportunities to share your faith? Well, you need to get close to people far from God. You need to seek common ground with them. You, you need to learn how to use your words strategically. Here's the final thing we need to see. We need to see people like Jesus sees them. Look at verse 28 and following. It says, then leaving her water jar. It's like she just drops it. And I think John tells us that for a reason. She just drops it. The woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. In other words, he knows me, he understands me. She said, could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. If you go down a little farther in verse 39, it says many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. Do you know that this is the first time in the Gospel of John that anyone ever says that they believe Jesus as their savior? First time. That means this woman who had five husbands and was living with another guy, she's the first missionary Jesus ever sent out. Jesus picks her, very unlikely suspect, to do this. I'm gonna get back to that in a minute. Well, about this time, the disciples are returning from town and they, they, they show up on the scene. It's sort of, sort of like comic relief. They're, they're bumbling as they often do in John's gospel. And maybe you remember, they have had to walk from this well into town about five miles and then they walked five miles back. In verse 31, it says, meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something, because they've come back pockets like full of falafels, you know? And um, Jesus says, oh, okay, food's on your mind. Let's talk food. And he says to them, I don't need your food. I don't need your falafels. He says, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And the disciples are like, what? Who brought him food? We've been walking 10 miles. Who brought him food? Could someone have brought him food? Verse 33, and Jesus says, verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Now watch this. He's, he's refocusing the disciples. He says to them, now while we're on the subject of food, boys, verse 35, I tell you, 
open your eyes. Look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. And I can imagine Jesus pointing over their shoulders and they turn around and they see streams of Samaritan men and women coming out of Sychar told them. And they probably weren't real happy at first because in their paradigm, this is like um, a race riot waiting to happen. You know, you've got these Samaritans coming. They hate Jewish people. And then you've got Jewish people standing right there to the disciples. Some of them are hot-tempered like Peter. Remember, he's later on gonna cut a guy's ear off with a sword. But Jesus says, no, no, reorient your thinking. The key phrase here is open your eyes. He says, you're afraid of them, but these are the people God loves. He says, I know they're different. They're Samaritans, you're Jews. They're Republicans, you're Democrats. They're Raider fans, you're Niter fans, you're different. He says, open your eyes. Don't see them as the others. See them as the ones God loves. And I, I'm just so confident that some of you here, if you wanted to, could stand up and tell your story because maybe you were a lot like this Samaritan woman. But one day, one day, Someone saw you. They saw you like Jesus sees you. And they shared good news with you. And maybe it was like your life was filled with this long trail of broken relationships. Or, or maybe you were cheating and lying your way to business success. Maybe you were enslaved to an addiction of some kind. But you listened to the announcement of good news. The news God so loved you that he sent his only son, Jesus, that Jesus died on the cross to save you from your sins and you repented and you believed and you trusted your life to Jesus. You became a Christ follower and the truth is you would say today if you could stand up, God is using you in ways you would have never thought possible back then. Some of you are leading life groups. Maybe you're helping others see how Jesus can change their life. Some of you are in Celebrate Recovery and you're leading a group there or you're leading a group of, on care night, Wednesday nights. You're sharing the good news of freedom from addictions, of hurts and habits and hangups. Some of you are teaching and you're serving children because you want to help children get the good start in life that you did not get. Some of you and maybe it feels real mundane to you, but you're working in the parking lot or you're greeting or you're ushering. You're just welcoming people like someone else once welcomed you and invited you into God's family. And a few years ago, you would have never believed it was possible. And everybody who knew you, they wouldn't have believed it was possible either, right? But today, it's reality. It's the way it is. Jesus changed your life and it all started when someone saw you the way Jesus sees you. See, when you leave today, and when you drive around wherever it is you're gonna be, as you live your life this week, when you see people around Tracy or Mountain House or Lathrop or uh, over the hill where, where you work, if you're listening and listening to them then maybe you can know that Jesus is whispering to you, to you, open your eyes for the fields are white for harvest. They're ripe 
Now, what's the bottom line here? Well, I think if you look at this entire story, the bottom line is this. Since our, our faith is about a relationship, we should look for ways to share Jesus in relationships. It's not a canned presentation. It's not a marketing strategy. And we can use helps. There are some helps that do help us communicate. But we should never get fixated on the tools. It's not about the tools. It's always about you showing someone how, or it's not about you showing someone how much you know. It's not about you showing someone that you're right and they're wrong. It's not about any of those things. It's always about real life. It's about the gospel, the good news that God announced to us one day and that he now calls us to share with others. Are you willing to pray right now that God would open our eyes, that we would see the fields around us that are ripe for harvest? Are you willing to do that? That's what I wanna challenge you to do and I'm gonna give you a chance to do that right now. Would you bow your head? We're gonna pray together. And as your heads are bowed, um, your eyes are closed, before we pray, I just wanna say that maybe you relate to this, this woman before she met Jesus. You feel worn out and ashamed and, and unworthy. And I want you to understand that what Jesus is saying to you right now is not behave, try to be better. What Jesus is saying to you is I choose you you, to have a relationship with me, to, to carry my message. I, I choose you today, and so if you are thirsty, come and drink. Have a drink of living water, and then go change your world. If you've already satisfied your thirst in Jesus, you're a follower of his, I wanna encourage you to right now be thinking of someone, at least one person, that you can be praying about that God will open a door for you to share good news with? Will you take that out from this place? That you will commit to praying for someone and that when God opens the door that you will share what God has done in your life with him? Father, I, I wanna pray that those who feel lost and, and lonely like that woman at the well would would just drink in your living water today. I pray, Lord, that they would run to you, Jesus, to your arms that are open wide. I pray that they would receive you. And Lord, for those of us who follow you, I pray that we would respond to the truth that you have given us living water and, and you would use uh, that blessing in our lives to, to move us to tell others. God, I wanna pray for those of us who identify with those bumbling disciples that, that we would have opportunity, even this week, to talk to someone about the good news of Jesus Christ. And I don't know where it'll be or how it'll happen, maybe at work or maybe in the neighborhood or maybe in our family somewhere, but my prayer is that for every one of us, we would be able to see those open doors and we would be able to walk through them and Share with someone what you have done in our lives. Lord, we, we pray that our eyes and our ears will be open. And we ask this now in Jesus' name and all God's people said. You know, as we...